Podcast is always one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is Friday, November 23rd, 2012, and this is episode 1026 of the Survival Podcast. Everybody out there is probably not as energetic as me. Because by the time you're listening to this, you're probably waking up with about 400 pounds of turkey stuffing and pie in your gut. How do I sound so perky? Did I stay paleo through Thanksgiving? No, I recorded this show on the 20th, the 21st. Right, So since I recorded this show earlier, I'm not all bogged down. You probably are. But I've got a great show for you today. Um, you know... Last week I covered, or was it early this week, I covered a story that just epitomizes the need to have a show like this today. I know it's Friday, we're supposed to have Friday, 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 we're supposed to have your calls. Not this Friday, I am on vacation, my son's here with me, I'm enjoying him being here. So we have this show that I've set up for you, and you know, my kids here, this is about your kids, folks. This is about restoring resiliency in our children. I covered a story this week about children that are crossing a two-foot-wide, four-inch-deep, four-inch-deep concrete ditch that more than often is empty. We'd call that a sidewalk with a hill. That's what we would call it. Um, and then sometimes it rains and water flows through there, and they have to jump two feet across it, or there's some places where there's some concrete blocks they can step on, and, and, and the children aren't complaining. No, no. The parents are. Parents want a bridge because their teacup children might break if they if they jump across a ditch. And it's the parents that are the problem. And the parents that are part of the homeowners association that make a simple bridge that could be built by a couple volunteers for five hundred bucks uh and would be really nice for that uh in, in a day, the, the the bridge they want would cost a hundred thousand dollars and the school districts and the HOAs and all everybody's arguing about who pays for it when it's and oh my god. And Everybody's saying, well, it's for the children. But do you realize what this is doing to the children? This is telling little Johnny, little Johnny, you can't handle getting across a two-foot-wide, four-inch-deep sidewalk that sometimes is covered in water. You can't figure it out, and we have to do it for you. God, what are we doing? What are we doing, folks? I have a solution for you. Let's rebuild the resiliency in our children, the resiliency that those of us who grew up in the, the 60s, the 70s, and the 80s go, where did it go? We're going to talk about how it was lost and how we can regain it today with our special guest, Trey Gibson. Before I bring Trey on, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day, number one today, ready-made resources. What more can you ask for from a, from a company? Let's say, this is who we are, this is what we do, and this is how we do it in the name of their company. And then they step up and do it. That's all about ready-made resources right there, folks. All the resources you need, ready-made, ready-to-go, point-click buy, sent to you, lightning-fast shipping, great service, great pricing. Check them out today, readymaderesources.com. And I mean everything you can think of for your prepping needs. You'll find it there. Next up today, not very often I get to do this, but I get to introduce a new sponsor for you guys today. And I'm very excited to introduce this sponsor. Um, I'll tell you first the sponsor that, that's going away, and it's not anything wrong or bad. It's just that uh, Dr. Kyle Christensen's no longer with Western Botanicals. 
Um, and I have not heard back from anybody at Western Botanical since, since Dr. Kyle left. Uh, with renewal of their contract. So I've decided, well, then I'll let it expire. And I think they're still a great company. I think it's still a great place to get your stuff. And I think that if I need stuff like they have, I'll still go there because it's the best place I've found. But since they don't like respond to emails about their sponsorship, I don't really know what to do. And frankly, Dr. Kyle was our big advocate there. And since he's gone on to do other things now, uh, that's left a spot open. And I get to offer it and have it accepted by... Backwoods Home Magazine. And I'll tell you why I'm excited about this. I've been somebody that's been reading Backwoods Home Magazine for about 15 years. I'm a big fan of all the folks over there. Uh, we've had a working relationship with them for a couple years with a special uh, discount program for the Member Support Brigade, which will continue. And I think they're one of the greatest sources of information on homesteading and self-reliance that exists out there, which is why I've been such a long-time customer of Backwoods Home. And they're perfect to bring in uh, as a sponsor. So they're our new sponsor, Backwoods Home Magazine. Uh, personal endorsement by me couldn't be any greater than being that long of a customer. And Passed with Flying Colors, the review by the uh, Listener Ad Council made up of our moderators on the forum. So welcome them in, folks. And, uh, hey, Christmas is coming up. You know that prepper in your life that always wants more information, always wants to learn more? Subscription to Backwoods Home would be a great holiday gift. They also have some really cool anthologies that go way back to the beginning of the publication. Those are awesome, too. Check them out today, uh, backwoodshome.com. All right, next up, I want to remind you guys about tspgear.com. Lots of cool stuff there. Hey, check out the Every Citizen as a Sentinel gear. With some stuff's really cool there. Check the patches. Uh, I'm going to run a little uh, article today about the Every Citizen as a Sentinel gear, but the patches are something that we're seeing a lot of orders for everything else. If there's something you don't like about the patches or maybe people just aren't finding them or don't get what they are, I want to know, let me know, because uh, we want to order a ton of them in the first order, but we've only sold like 12. But all the other gears, so we know that people like the design, so let us know if there's something that's holding you back on the patches or maybe it's just the way we have them on the site. You didn't know what they were, uh, but it just doesn't match the rest of them, and we don't want to go and order 500 in the first run if they're not going to sell. So, uh, But all the other gear there is pretty cool stuff, good stuff for, uh, for the preppers in your life. And uh, also check out TSP Copper, really cool copper coins. That's another cool gift. Hey, man, you can hand those things out to all the nieces, nephews, and kids Uh, real truth about money's on there, and they can learn the real truth about money. And there's a lot of other really great coins at tspcopper.com. Last but not least, consider joining the Member Support Brigade. I'll leave it there today because uh, you guys know all about that. If you don't, click on Members at the site, and you'll find out about it. Military, Law Enforcement, Peace Corps, Active Duty, Prior Service, and First Responders. Email me before you join with service discount on the subject line. Tell me who you are and what you're doing or who you are and what you did. I'll give you a special discount on your membership if you want to become a member. Do that before, not after you join. All right, with that, it's time to introduce my special guest. We're going to talk about something that this is near and dear to my heart. I've been talking about it a long time. You're going to hear me and him actually come to a point where we talk about something called the teacup generation. I didn't even know that term until he was on. I call them delicate little flowers. That's what we're turning our children into. I'm not trying to teach you guys to raise Rambo, and neither is Trey, but it is time we start raising children that at least can fail tying their shoes and keep failing until they can do it without having a temper tantrum once again. And with that, hey, Trey, man, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Well, Jack, I can say that it is an absolute honor. Thanks for having me on. Well, I'm happy to have you on. Um, I told people a little bit about your background 
But you want to kind of, we're, you know, we're here to talk today about preparing children to deal with grid dad scenarios. Uh, but you want to give people maybe a little bit more about your background as to, you know, why it's a topic that we would be discussing with you today. Absolutely. First off, Jack, I thought I'd let you guys know a little, a little known fact for most people. My full name is actually Kenneth Ernest Gibson III, but my nickname is actually Trey. So a quick funny story about this. When I was in high school, Jack, I had a, uh, I had a cousin whose name was Vernon. So anytime I'd get on the phone and I'd call Vernon, I'd say, hey, Vern, it's Ernest. So anyway, uh, with a little bit of that, <laughs> sorry about that. Bad That's all right. <laughs> uh, but a little bit of background with me. Do uh, I do have a master's degree in uh, psychology. I fell in love with just how the mind works uh, several, several years ago. Uh, but particularly as I was getting my degrees, uh, one of the things that I noticed was I had a particular emphasis on parenting. You know, I, I grew up like most, I'm going to say most people do. Uh, I had pretty good parents. Uh, they, they taught me some really amazing things, some great things, found, you know, just fantastic foundational elements. But one of the things that I noticed was, was that there were some bad habits that they had taught me as well. There were some things that I just flat out didn't know when it came to kids, it came to babies. So I started noticing that I had kind of like a, a particular love for uh, parenting and how can we get better at our parenting. So I, I began taking a lot more classes that were emphasis into that and uh, kept doing that. I spent the last seven years teaching parents, basically, how do you de-stress parenting? I think we kind of get this mentality that parenting has to be something where it's like, you know, 10% of the time, we really love and enjoy our kids, but the other 90% of the time, we just want to punch them in the face. You know, we kind of get that mentality, and I don't, I don't think that's the way it has to be. I think that, <laughs> yeah, I hope not. <laughs> exactly. And I think we get that. I think that is how parents live. So my mentality is I think we can actually turn that around to where 90% of the time we enjoy, we love, we consider our kids being a joy. We look forward to being around them. We look forward to going home from work, etc. with only 10% of those times that things are tough. And so... I started building a, a website around this idea. How can we do that? How can we start getting it to where we enjoy our kids more than we want to kill them, right? So that was kind of where we went from there. Um, spent the last seven years teaching parents uh, through, like, uh, parenting education classes. So, Jack, I want you to imagine. These are those parents that, like, get mandated by the state of Texas to come in and come see me, right? So when they walk in that door, like, if looks could kill. I mean, they look at me like, you, sir, are the devil, and you made me get here. When in reality, it was actually in the fact the judge that made them come there. When in reality, sure. in the fact, it was what they had done with their kids. But Sure, and these are people that you may have to explain that when you said punch them in the face, you were joking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In some right. cases, that's don't write that down. Don't. That's not. Do not take notes on that. That's that was a joke. That is correct. And uh, so, how do you sit down and work with somebody? Because parenting is a touchy subject. It is for me too. If somebody ever comes across as like uh, challenging something that you do in your parenting, how can you do it in a way to where they don't just shut down and think that you're, you know, the the devil, right? So, building a website around how do we get people to come in feel comfortable to say, you know what, I haven't really, I want to get better at this. That's kind of where we started doing that, and that was kind of where the Family Podcast Network got built from. Uh, Jack, I'll be honest, giving you some credit too. I discovered this little site called, I think it was Jack's or Five Minutes with. Jack at the time, and I started listening from that, building that up, started putting together uh, a podcast off of that, fell in love with that, uh, love speaking, love talking with people, and especially, I love to see people go, man, this whole raising a kid thing isn't nearly as hard uh, as I thought. So anyway, got real passionate about parenting, showing others how to take the stress out of parenting. I want to make sure that I'm clear here when I say taking stress out of parenting. I'm not saying that you can get it all out. Uh, I'm not crazy. I mean, I think probably the only way that you could do that really is to like take illicit narcotics and, and we're going to take that off the table as well. But, uh, how do we get to the point where we can enjoy parenting? And so 
one of the things I think we can do is, is teach our kids how do you be resilient. Yeah, and that's the topic that we have you on here to talk about today. I think it's a great topic. But what exactly, in your view, is resilience, and how does it apply to our children? You know, I think this kind of I think this word is actually under talked about in our society. And then when it is talked about, I think a lot of us we kind of get confused as to what it really really is. So I define it kind of broadly as like this: it's um, it's our ability to say persevere, to get through things and adjust whenever we're faced with adversity, with difficulties, with struggles, with hard things. Now, that can be anything from as small as a little kid who's learning how to tie the shoe, right? I mean, for us as parents, I think we kind of get disconnected on what that feels like because most of us can tie our own shoes and we can do it great and we can do the laces and whatnot. But to a new kid who's trying to learn that, I mean, that can be an adversity for them. It can be difficult. It's a struggle. It's it's hard. They can get really down on themselves when they can't get it done. So it can be something as small as that. But I think this is scalable. You can expand this out to major things. Let's take uh, Hurricane Sandy recently. How do you get a kid to where they can handle things, how they can they can handle adversity like Hurricane Sandy without breakdowns, without, you know, I mean, literally falling apart in some cases. How do we get our kids to do that? That is resiliency at its at, at its most basic Um I had a lady on my show a while back, just a brilliant lady, and, and she has written several books about building resilience in kids. Her name is Dr. Donovan Pita, but she had a she had a, a statement that I really liked. She said, "Resilience is the response that you have to challenges." And in reality, Jack, I think we're losing that. We're losing our ability to really be able to handle those kind of challenges. So, my basic definition for it is this: is resiliency is about perfecting how we handle struggles. And a lot of us, a lot of us have gotten really, really, really poor at it. A lot of parents kind of get confused with this, and they say, oh, well, resiliency must be about removing challenges from my kid's life. That's how you teach them resiliency. And I think that is one of the number one most farcical beliefs, the biggest lies that we fell into, is that if you want to you know, teach a kid to be resilient, you set them up to win all the time. And we're going to talk a little bit about that's a terrible idea. I mean, you know me, I'm kind of kind of a tough-ass guy to deal with. And even with that, you know, what I've always said to my wife with our son being 23 years old now is if we did anything wrong at all, we made it too easy. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. And I'm not easy. So, (laughs) (laughs) well, you know, I think because of that right there, I think because of this mentality that we're talking about, and I admit to it in my own life as well, because of that, I think we've kind of got this mentality that there's no way that we could ever prepare for things like uh, Sandy, or I mean, let's be honest, an economic crash. There's no way that we could prepare ourselves, and especially not our kids, for that. And I think that's an absolute lie. Uh, when I talked to folks about this, I had somebody the other day trying, I mean, vehemently trying to convince me, oh, no, there's no way that people could have prepared for Sandy Trey, because, and, and I'll give them one preclusion. Like, okay, there's the, the fact that, okay, what if a tree falls on your house and destroys and washes away everything that you put away? I mean, yes, I understand you can't prepare for every contingency, but you absolutely can prepare for major catastrophic events, whether, again, whether it be hurricanes or economic issues, we can. And the answer lies in the, the, the resiliency. Um, you, know, and, you know, just on that while you're there, the, the, that mentality is pervasive. And, you know, when people say something like that, well, my response is, well, one of the things you could have done is you could have left when you got the mandatory evacuation order so that you weren't stuck there in ground zero and you were in a place where there were resources that could be harnessed. And if the community itself is prepared, not everybody has the tree or the flood, and then they can support each other. Yeah. And and, and we've lost that kind of a concept. Like, yeah, just because one person can be completely taken out doesn't mean that we should just accept the fact there's nothing we can do about it. It's like, 
if you get hit by a gravel hauling truck tomorrow, one of those big 10 ton dumps or 20 ton dumps, you can wear your seatbelt and have your uh, airbag deployed and all, you're dead, right? That doesn't mean we get in the car and don't put a seatbelt on, right? Right, exactly. And a lot of people will use that mentality to kind of try to victimize themselves. Well, because you can't prepare for everything, why prepare at all? And the answer is it's because your kids need you to. They need to see you doing these things because it is teaching that mentality. I'll tell you, Jack, my, uh, like a lot of, you know, like, so when you ask parents, why is it, do they struggle with this? Why do we have such a hard time with this mentality? In most cases, it's because we don't like to see our kids fail. We don't, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, no, no good parent likes to see their kid fall and crash on their bicycle. I don't. No kid likes to, you know, no parent likes to see their kid struggling to get that shoe tied like we talked about earlier. But in reality, we don't like to see that. So what do we do for them? We fix it. We kind of, we try to take care of that for them. And, and I think that's one of the biggest things we've lost lately. And we'll talk a little bit later about how do we change that. But, you know, it, it was really interesting, too. Just the other day, my daughter walked in, and uh, she was trying to tie her shoe. And what she really wanted from me was she wanted me to come in and tie her shoe for her. And she's like, Dad, I'm, I'm really having a hard time with this. And I just said, okay, sure. Uh, you sure are? And she just kept saying, oh, Dad, look at this. I just I can't seem to get this. And I said, yeah, yeah, you absolutely are. And she kept on. And she kept on. And she she just absolutely didn't get it. Next day she got up. She tried again. And on, on just a, a whim, she got it on the first try. And she was so excited that she did that. But there was that part of me that thought, Ah, I'm a little nervous about this because there wasn't really that struggle that I wanted to see. But we, we praised her way to go. Well, guess what happened day three? She got up. She sat down, started messing with the shoestring. And what happens? She couldn't tie it again because what had happened was there wasn't enough of that struggle. So we really let her struggle some more. And after two, three, four days of doing that, the next thing you know, it was just something just, just clicked with her. And so – a lot of times, allowing our kids to have these struggles is so important because it's what gets them there. And uh, and let's I mean let's be honest with ourselves. Anytime I don't know about the listeners out there, but anytime I've struggled with anything, anytime that I've had to work really hard for something and then I finally figure it out and I finally do it. Let's talk about building a website. I have zero background in web development or any of that kind of stuff. I had to do it from the ground up. I had to watch your videos. I, I've read more books on this stuff than I ever cared to admit to, and it took all that. But let me tell you. When I finally got that first website put up that I didn't think, oh, God, that looks like crap. That very first one that I was like, oh, this is it. This is nice. Let me tell you, that was way sweeter than if I hadn't had any struggles at all. Now, I'm not suggesting that you know it's not okay not to pay somebody to do that because I love that stuff. But I'm getting off topic. So, No, but I have a question for you with that. Like, Where did we lose this? Because like, I know when I grew up, like parents and grandparents, like if you were having to, they were just let you do it. Right. And like kids would do things where they could skin a knee or get hurt or play, you know, tackle football out in the yard with the other kids. And and you ride bicycles without a freaking knee pad, elbow pad, ass pad, head pad, feet pad, you know, and, and being in a bubble. And and nobody freaked out about it. And today parents are like trying to basically cocoon their children from anything. And these are the same generation that grew up with the, you know, the, 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 the kind of, didn't have that from their, their parental generation. So what made us make that shift, if that makes sense? You know, it, it's funny you even bring that question up, Jack. I just saw a picture the other day on Facebook where it was, it was said something like the 1980s were awesome. And it was this little picture of this, this <laughs> plastic trikes that they had. That you yeah. And it was a kid riding that, and they built this ramp that was like, good lord. And this kid had hit this ramp, and he was flying through the air. Just his eyes were just as, just as huge, just big as saucers, you know, and they were just flying through there. And it was, saying, it was talking about the 70s were awesome. We did this kind of stuff. And I agree with you. There's been a major shift to where it's become kind of like the overprotective parents, the, the mother hitting. And I'm telling you, Jack, I think the answer to your question 
lies in one issue right here. It's this one thing, and it's going to seem so contradictory for most people. But the answer lies in this. It lies in self-esteem. Now, people are going to think, oh, he's going to go down the traditional self-esteem. No, I don't think the self-esteem movement that started happening actually fixed it. I actually think that the self-esteem movement actually started screwing this mentality up. So does resilience... So I'm going to cut to the chase on this one. I think what you're saying is when we started giving everybody a trophy... Uh-huh. We screwed this up, and and it, you bring up a great word there, self-esteem, because my feeling from working with children is one I've like worked with scouts, and we did things like you know the towers that you have to climb up on and jump across the thing that's kind of scary to grab, stuff like that. Like once they got through that, then they had self-esteem, but they had earned that self-esteem. So about what you're saying is when we started giving it away as a right. Versus letting people earn it, we kind of screwed up and went off course. That's exactly right, and that's that's precisely it. So people ask me all the time, like, does resiliency have anything to do with self-esteem? And the answer is is yes and no. Uh, a lot of people actually confuse like resiliency with like that popular self-esteem movement during the during the late nineties and, and particularly in the early two thousands. I started noticing that there was kind of this movement that became real popular. Um, this self-esteem movement, and basically it stated that make your kids feel good about themselves, and they will be successful. Now, I, I want to qualify real quick that there is a little bit of truth to that there is research even that backs this up, that the better that kids feel about themselves, the more successful that they have a tendency to be. And so there, there is a little bit of truth to that, but the problem is, is that people have kind of mis, misinterpreted, they've misdefined what those words are. And so on the surface of things, Resiliency and self-esteem kind of appear to be similar, but the, the reality is there's some pretty significant differences. Uh, because of this, and we'll talk a little bit about this next word in just a minute, but I, we, we've, we've generated what, what I affectionately call, and I didn't make this up, but the, the teacup generation. And, and I've noticed kind of a, a generation of kids that have grown up that are what, what's called teacup. And so these are the ones that anytime they experience any kind of crisis, and these are like your particular college age and, and upper college and, and even into some young, some young full-grown adults, I'm seeing this to where anytime conflict or crisis comes along, they shatter like a teacup, right? They're delicate and they're very fragile. And so when anything comes along, they'll just totally self-destruct. And I think one of the reasons is is because of this confusion here of self-esteem. So a lot of these – so real quick, what is this self-esteem movement I'm talking about? This is that stuff that you heard people talk about, like that it, the, the focus is on like getting kids to feel really good about themselves, which I'm not against. But the problem I think has happened is we've pushed it as numero uno. It's the number one thing that you should be doing. So they were often taught like to teach their kids to say things like, uh, I'm graceful and strong, you know, and other kind of like self. <laughs> I mean, I'm not against somebody believing that about themselves. But in reality, if they are. Exactly. That's <laughs> I mean, I don't mean to sound cruel, you know, and tell a little kid, you know, you're not strong. But if you're, you know, I mean. The, the reality here is that we've created this generation. I'd never heard the term before, this teacup thing, but it, it makes perfect sense. I call them delicate little flowers. And, I mean, I've seen this going back with young adults, 20 years almost. I remember some of my first jobs after the Army were construction jobs. And you have a bunch of construction workers getting together. And, you know, we had some guys working for us 18, 19 years old. And a lot of them would get really, really sensitive when, you know, basically you get a bunch of construction workers together. They they tear each other apart all day long. They dearly love each other. It's a brotherhood, but they mock each other. They make fun of each other. But it's not it's not done in seriousness. It's done in jest, and it's done as almost part, like if they don't do that to you, that means they don't like you. 
And some of these guys that were 19, 20 years old, I had to pull them aside as a supervisor and explain they're not serious. They, they, they don't mean, this is not high school. They're not picking on you. Right. And they were really, like some of them were emotionally hurt. And these are 21, 22-year-old young men right. that are working construction. You have to explain this to yeah, yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. Well, what what happened, Jack, was was that this this they kind of based all this stuff off the belief that like kids who feel really good, you know, these parents did. They would base this belief that like kids who feel good about themselves will do well in life. Now, at face value, you look at that and you say, okay, well, that I mean, that makes sense. I mean, I'll be honest. The better that I feel, the more confident I am. The better work that I do on my website, etc. And I mean, I mean, there is some elements of truth to that. Here's where the problem with that movement went wrong. Um, most of us have confused the word self-esteem with something else entirely by definition. So what's happened is, is we've kind of confused the word uh, self-esteem with what they actually mean, which is, is the word self-worth. So imagine like we're looking at like a two-tiered pyramid here. So the very top of that pyramid is your self-worth. That's the overall end result come to the point, the capitulation of all of the other stuff that comes below it. Self-worth is made up of two different things. Number one is that self-esteem. Now, here's the problem is we've misinterpreted what that self-esteem is and its role in this. Okay, So self-esteem is how do you feel about yourself? That's it right there. It's not a thought. It's not a, an idea in your mind. It's just how do you feel about yourself? So if I could clone Jack Spierko and put you in the room with yourself, would you like yourself? Would you enjoy your company? Those kinds of things. That's, that's the self-esteem. Well, most parents stop there when in reality, when it really comes down to it all, there's a secondary part of that, and that's called self concept. What do you think about yourself? What do you, you know, I'm smart. I'm really good. I'm great at teaching parenting. It's kind of the, the combination. Here's a, here's a big one that kids need to be thinking that often they don't. I can do this. Even knowing in their minds that they can do it. So it's the, the combination of how does a person feel about themselves? What does a person think about themselves? You put that together and that's what makes that self-worth. And in reality, I would argue that is what makes resiliency in kids. Why are we having such a problem with that? Anybody I've ever explained this to, they go, oh, yeah, 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 that makes sense. Right? I get that. Why is that a problem? It's one word right here. and We don't often hear about this very much, and I will break it down, but it's, it's the word hedonism. Hedonism is the main issue here that we're talking about. Hedonism is a belief system that pleasure is the ultimate good. It's the ultimate thing to be focused on. Now, as a disclaimer, I don't have a problem with pleasure. Pleasure is a wonderful thing. I enjoy eating. I enjoy spending time with my wife. I enjoy things that are pleasurable. This is not dogging and saying there's anything wrong with those things. But hedonism says it's the ultimate thing to be focused on, and then pain is the ultimate thing to be avoided. Stay away from pain. We don't ever want to hurt. We don't ever want to struggle. We don't want to have difficulties or conflicts or any of that stuff. Stay away from that stuff. Just focus on what feels good. So what did the self-esteem movement do? Or, you know, it sounds like you even tracked it back earlier than the 80s and the 90s in the, in the 2000s. But what yeah, I mean, I was in the I was talking about there would have been early 90s. But you're dealing with people that were only a year or two younger than me. So we're dealing with people that would have been born around 76. Right. And that's and I saw that in those guys. Fascinating. That's really fascinating. So anyway. With, with all of that said, so here's what happened is, is parents got this mentality first off. They start off with, with the hedonism, right, which says, I need to, you know, pleasure is the ultimate good, pain is to be avoided. So then they got fed this, this, this mentality of, if you want your kid to be successful in life, if you want your kids to be able to handle any problem, they need to feel good about themselves. So they put those two together, and that is where the problem began. They said, okay, I want my kid to be really successful, so to give them that high self-esteem as they translated it then, to give them that high self-esteem, I need to set them up so they're going to succeed, and they're going to succeed, and they're going to succeed. And ultimately, subsequently, they said, okay, but we've also got to make sure we don't 
let them fail because if they fail, that feels bad, right? And we don't want to get, have them feeling like that. And if they feel bad, that's going to lower their self-esteem. And if that lowers their self-esteem, then in reality, they're not going to be successful. Do you see, do you see how that lie just – kind of- I, I see how exactly how it works. And I, what I want to ask you on a professional level, do you think that's actually counter to basic human behavior? And the reason I say that is because one of the things that I saw really bringing this on is I was – uh, you know, my son was a little bit older than like my nieces and nephews, but they were really in the middle of this target and they would start doing things like playing volleyball, playing soccer, playing basketball. And for like the first couple of years they play when they're, you know, seven, eight years old, they stopped keeping score yeah. because they don't want anybody to feel bad about not scoring, which to me is just like, why do you play the game? Oh, to have fun. Well, yeah, there's that, but there's a reason it's a game. It's competitive. And what I noticed that totally showed the idiocy of this is I could walk up to the bench of the kids sitting on the bench and any kid that would come out of the game to switch off with another kid and say, what's the score? Every single seven-year-old on the side of that basketball court on both teams knew what the score was and only the conditioning by the adults had told them that there was anything wrong with that. No, I think you're exactly right, Jack. 100% spot on. I think that we have robbed our kids in a lot of cases by doing things like taking scores away. Um, I mean, I'm sorry. There are certain kids that are better at flag football. I mean, let's just be straight about this. There are certain kids that are going to own at flag football or, or tackle football when they're little kids. There are other kids that aren't as good. And that is, I, I, and I, and I think we have absolutely robbed our kids by taking that away. One of my buddies calls the, uh, the gold star mentality. Everybody gets a gold star mentality. You know, you get, you get a medal for showing up and trying. Now, a lot of people understand and recognize that's not a thing, but I don't think most people recognize why. And so on that professional level, yes, I absolutely agree with you. We absolutely need to allow our kids to experience, uh, those kind of things. And, and often we're not. And we can't figure out why. Whenever our kids get to be 13, 14, 15, or 16, they can't handle responsibilities well. Or they crash. Yeah, we're like, why don't you grow up? Why don't, why don't you grow up? And you, 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 well, you've, you've actually taken that entire motivation to grow up away from the child. Absolutely. And so that's where I think a lot of the, these teacuppers are coming from. You know, and in truthfulness, too, you know, the, this Occupy movement has been fascinating to me. And uh, I, I want to say for the record, if anybody out there that are, that are TSP listeners are, are, are a part of the Occupy movement, I doubt it very seriously. But if you are... I want people to understand, I get some of it. Having talked to a few of them, I get some of them. The, the, the major corporations that are, that are having unethical management and all that stuff, I really do get that part of it. But my thought process is, is what are we really doing by sitting out there doing nothing? And so Correct. Correct. And that's why I'm really encouraged to see them doing things like helping with Sandy Relief. There's another thing the Occupy people have just come out with where they're actually buying charged-off debt and then using that to create forgiveness for the people that have the debt. So it's like they're actually finally, finally figuring out that you can only sit around and not take a bath for so long before people don't care anymore. And if you want to fix the problem, you have to address it. But these people are old enough that they should have kind of came with that instruction manual. Absolutely. And I, and I think they're on to something with that. They are stepping up and doing something, and I like that. But to me, the, and I might be wrong, and, and somebody who's an occupier might come up and correct me on this, but to me it almost looks as though they're, they're, they're doing something, but it's still standing there with their hand out saying, you need to fix this. Instead yeah. of stepping up and, and okay, how can I, what, what can I do in my life to fix this? I mean, you really want to stick it to them? Get rid of their credit cards. 
You know, you know, that's one of the things we did. I mean, we had like $64,000 worth of credit card debt. We put an action into place a few years ago, and we paid that down to less than $800 that we've got left. And so that's one of the ways I'm sticking it to them. I don't want to pay you money anymore. I don't want to pay for an item through your money and then have to pay you 10 to 25% extra for that. That's what, see, that's, to me, that's actionable. That is something. Correct. But I, you know, what you were talking about earlier, though, because I want to go back there before I forget as we proceed forward. When you were talking about, like, making our children successful at everything they do, and, like, some kids are going to own in football. Some are going to own in basketball. Some are going to own in, you know, if the girls go to dance and ballet and, you know, don't take it away from guys. Some of the boys are good at dancing and, and like that thing as well. Um, but if we make it where everybody's successful, then instead of the kid that's just, like, never going to be a good football player figuring out, Football sucks for me. This is not my thing. They don't go do something they're actually going to be good at. That guy that can't play football might be an amazing golf player or an amazing chess player or amazing at his understanding of mathematics. I mean, even with the athletics, even if it's like you're not good at football, it doesn't mean you're not good as an athlete. You might be good at some other sport. And by making them successful at things they suck at, they don't then go out and find the things they're actually good at. No, I think you nail it right on the head, too. Funny enough, you brought up a, a quote of one of my movies, and I don't know, the, the writers probably had no intention of doing this, but you brought up a quote in one of your shows the other day uh, from The Incredibles. I love that show because there's a lot of what we're talking about here in Resilience yeah. in that movie. Yeah. But he, he talked about when they were talking about moving them from like the fourth grade to the fifth grade or the fifth grade to the sixth grade. They were going to have this, this, uh, this ceremony for all these kids that were moving up. And Mr. Incredible, the main character, made a comment that I thought was actually really good and really insightful. He said, it's like we're looking for new ways to celebrate mediocrity. Yeah, that, that's not the quote I gave, but that's my – those are two great quotes out of that movie. And that one was even played down as though he was wrong for saying it in the movie. And I'm like, that should be on freaking bumper stickers. No, I agree 100%. I'm trying to remember, what was the comment that you made? Because you did, you pulled from another spot. When everybody's super, no one will be super. Because the villain wanted to give everybody the superpowers with technology, and then if everybody was super, nobody would be super. And that is, if everybody wins and nobody loses, then nobody really wins. I agree. And, you know, it's so funny to me, even as you're saying that, you've got me thinking, you're stimulating my thought process here. I mean, does that sound familiar? I mean, the idea of we've got to make everybody special, we've got to take from those that really are and make everybody – anyway, it just kind of fascinates me that that mentality is so, so prevalent. But So anyway, going well, how come, how, why does this elude so many parents? Why do parents struggle with the concept of resiliency? You know – the main part the main part of it is is that it's the belief system again it goes back to this idea that to make my kid resilient, I need them to feel good about themselves. In reality, Jack, I'm a, I'm a huge research nerd. I, I love to study research and, and watch it and whatnot. It, you know, I, I always tell anybody, if you watch the articles, especially if they come out of like HuffPo or something like that, be, take those with a grain of salt. But I actually go to the actual articles. I love to read them. And research has shown is that self-esteem and success really don't go hand-in-hand the way we think it does. For instance, the reason I say that, I just read an article the other day that showed that they they rated some of these kids that had extremely high self-esteem, and they still did things that that were considered antisocial and moral and criminal. So by saying, oh, if I can make my kids feel really, really good about themselves, then they'll be successful is, is is not true. It's not actually a fact because there's so many of them that have really high self-esteem, but in reality, they still go and do things that they shouldn't do. And so 
again, I, I do want to balance all of this too. You know, we, we kind of hit on this a little bit earlier, but but the, the resiliency research that has been done, these nerds that really study this stuff, you know, really in depth, it, it does show that the notion of kids like doing well in life, you know, kids being successful uh, and feeling good about themselves is accurate. So in other words. Kids feeling, you know, doing well and having successes really does make them feel good about themselves. And so I'm not poo-pooing on that idea or that mentality that that's what it would be. But here's the problem. We've stopped teaching our kids how to handle tough crap. I mean, that's, I mean, I, you know, that's the most refined way I know how to put it. Our, our kids coming up nowadays do not know how to handle the tough crap that's happened in their life. They don't know what to do when bullying happens to them at school. I mean, I can't tell you how many kids I've had in my office. That, I mean, we're talking some of these kids are having some rotten things happen. To I, I mean, we had bullies when I was in school, and, and kids are always cruel in certain scenarios and situations, but we didn't have children killing themselves because they were bullied. That just did not happen. It never, I mean, I, I never heard of that until recent years. I think it's tragic, and I'm not saying that the bullying itself is not a problem, but the concept that the, the children can't handle it, no one got a gun and shot a bunch of people because they were bullied. Nobody got a gun and shot themselves because they were bullied. It just did not happen in the 80s and 70s. No, and I do agree with you on that, too. And I think it's easiest. Who do we blame? In situations like this, when these kinds of things happen, who do we blame for that? And do I think there's an element of responsibility that lies? We, I mean, in them, yes, it's, we, we blame the bully. We say, well, it's because they did these things. And I agree. There is, I mean, that is definitely the crossing of line of civil liberties. People, I mean, kids have the right to go to school and feel safe. And I agree with that. But there's a secondary part, and this is not trying to put blame on parents or kids or anybody else. But I think it gives us that, that rise of hope that we've got to do this is that we need to be teaching our kids, how do you handle somebody like this? And so, anyway, we've got to teach our kids how to handle these tough things. And so, you know, when we focus our attention on helping kids learn, you know, like skills for doing well, instead, you know, with these like self-esteems and slogans and activities, I mean, I think we're setting them up for failure. Um, I want to balance out real quick on this. You know, we, we're talking so much about failure in here, and I, I want to avoid the appearance that, like, I think, we need to make our kids fail or set them up to fail. That is not what I believe at all. I think we need to be setting our kids up to be successful, as successful as they can be. But what we need to be allowing them to do is is teaching them how to fail, have the skill set. In a lot of ways, I tell people, you want your kid to have a Ph.D., and problem solving. If you can teach your kids how to handle any issue that comes on, you can scale that up in almost any way. Now, problem solving skills, then they can look for new ways to solve bigger problems. And so, again, I'm not saying... And you can't teach a person to solve problems by removing the problem. You have to let them deal with the problem. Now, if the problem is a giant dog is about to kill your child, you step in. If the problem is I'm having trouble getting this toy that I bought that came with assembly instructions together. Trust me, folks, they can sit there for an hour with that, throw it down, get angry, come back. They're not going to die. It's not going to adversely affect their lives. You can let them struggle through things like that or tying a shoe. Or in, in my son, and he'll kill me if he listens to this episode for, for bringing this up, but when he was like about six years old, and I had just met Dorothy, and he you know, was becoming my stepson, basically, she had always poured his syrup on his freaking waffle for him. And he was convinced he couldn't do it. And the first time I saw that, I'm like, hell no. And you know what? You can sit there for an hour with a cold waffle. You won't die. And I just think that parents have gotten to a point where when they get their kid into any kind of a struggle, they feel like if I don't fix it, something terrible is going to happen. And the reality is nothing's going to freaking happen in the, those types of scenarios. Nothing at all, except your kid might learn. 
Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with you. And a lot of times parents, Jack, when they get to what you're talking about there, they'll come and say, well, Trey, I mean, I tried this week to, to get him to do it. You know, I tried to get him to do this, or I tried to get him to tie their shoe, and, and they just got so discouraged about it. I always tell them this. If you've done it for them up to this point, they're counting on you to do it, and sometimes it takes time to break a habit. I mean, let's be honest. Humans like to do we like to get the most amount that we can from something with the least amount of work. I think that's the natural saying. Now, I'm not saying that, that that you don't work hard. You do. I'm working my butt off to build up a web business right now. But I'll be honest, it's for the intent of if I work hard now, I'll be able to play hard later. And so, uh, so a lot of times kids will just – I mean if you've done it for them up to this point, they'll fight you. They'll resist you on it. And we're going to go into that a little bit deeper in the next question about how do we teach our kids these things. But – if you've done it for them up to this point, of course they're going to try to get you to do it. They're going to throw a little wine. They're going to throw some fits. I mean, I've seen four-year-olds do this. I've seen 15-year-olds do this. Heck, I've seen 40-year-old people that are still doing this. It's but, a good point. Let's say I came by your house Friday and I gave you a pie. Right. You'd be like, dude, thanks for the pie. If I came by next Friday, you'd be like, wow, thanks for the pie. If I did that for like a year, every Friday I brought you a pie, and then I came by on Friday without a pie – You'd have gone from, like, really appreciative that I brought you a pie to, like, dude, where's my pie? Exactly. That's right? exactly. You always bring me a pie. Where's my pie? And if I go, well, I'm not bringing you pies anymore. I've now shown up with ingredients to teach you to bake your own pie. You might go, I don't want to do that. Well, you either have no pie or you learn to make one. Yep. And that's exactly what we've done, right? Yeah, that's exactly it. I'm going to be honest, Jack. I'm stealing that just for the record. That's going to go <laughs> – I'm, I'm glad to. But yeah, like, so we've beaten the problem up now. And I think most people, especially our age and, and a little younger, definitely older, know the problem. How do we fix this? How do we start getting resiliency back into our youth? Well, the good thing is what's unique to this audience, and it's one of the reasons why I'm drawn to be a TSP member, is that – most people aren't going to struggle with this, but the reality is resiliency begins with us as parents first. We always talk about anytime I'm, I'm working with parents on all this, one of the things I ask them is, is who is watching us to learn everything they're going to do in life? Of course, the answer is our kids. Our kids are watching us. In reality, your kids are going to become some level of product of you or your spouse or whoever is in their life, aunts, uncles, and those kinds of things. That's just kind of the way that's the way it works. Now, they'll be different. They'll be unique. They won't be you, but a lot of those characteristics will be the same. And so number one thing, just to, to set the foundation in this, you've got to start it yourself. You've got to start building resiliency in yourself. You've got to start teaching yourself how to solve problems without having somebody else come in. In this community, it's not going to be nearly big of an issue because if they're listening to you, it's because most of them are saying, I'm ready for for that. So let's talk about with kids. Number one thing you got to do is you got to start altering the way you look at adversity. In America, we have become so problem phobic. I don't know, Jack, I'm just going to make that word up on the spot here, but we've become so problem phobic. We don't like problems. We don't like struggles. We don't like adversity. And so, and a lot of times we hate them. And so, because we hate them, again, going back to hedonism, we avoid them. Well, I mean, Okay, right, but we've, we've, we've gone through that, that that can't work for us. And so, we've got to change the way not only do we see problems, but also, we've got to teach that to our kids. How do we do that? Number one, let your kids experience struggles. I know we've kind of beat that up, so I'm going to hit these real quick. But let me kind of hit a, a piece of this in terms of what's going to help this audience out that we didn't really talk about before. Don't shield your kids from things, including natural disasters. Talk to your kids about Hurricane Sandy. It's one of my number one things to do. Bad crap happens. It happens in the United States. This is a wonderful country, for the most part, to live in right now, and, 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 but bad things happen. Don't shield your kids from that because what happens when they've never heard of any of this ever happening before and then Hurricane Sandy comes blowing through? 
Well, now they've got no file to access on what the heck do I do when this is happening. So don't shield your kids from things like natural disasters or war. Uh, don't shield them from deaths. Oh, my God, Jack, one of my number one pet peeves is when parents try to hide. And I'm sorry if any of y'all have done this. I'm not trying to be offensive. But when they hide the fact that the pet hamster died or yeah. they flushed the fit. The dog went to live on Uncle Joe's farm and Uncle Joe doesn't exist or whatever. It's it's. You know, I mean, we used to have farm kids, and they knew what death was because it was on the table. Exactly, exactly. Or even, I'm sorry, and it's probably going to offend some people, and I'm sorry, but like when they take the the, the pet goldfish and they flush them and go get another one and put them back in there, first of all, their heart is in a good place. I think they really are trying to keep their kids from experiencing, I mean, death sucks. I mean, let's be honest, it hurts. It's painful. I don't like it either. But when, when you're... When you rob a kid, that's what I believe it is. It is robbing a kid of their ability to deal with death on a microscopic level. Because let's be honest. I mean, a a pet fish dying is going to hurt a kid. But let me tell you, that's a whole lot less than if you were to die in a car wreck coming home today. Right? So giving kids the... And they might have to deal with that someday. Exactly. (laughs) And no one will be able to go buy a new daddy and put him in the bowl. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I don't mean to make a sad thing funny, but seriously, there's things that you won't be able to fix, so don't fix the things that you can that teach them to cope. We we develop coping mechanisms as we grow. That's why a a, a even when a person looks like they cope well, right? I'm sure, as a professional, I'm sure you know this way deeper than me, but a five-year-old has a coping mechanism that has to do with a lot of fantasy denial, and just an just a, a, a infinite belief that a five-year-old has that everything will be super someday again, where an adult has to deal with the coping mechanism a lot more logically. But to get from that five-year-old to that 25-year-old, you've got to go through stages. That's part of the, match, the, the, the process of, of becoming more mature. That's exactly right. No, I agree with you 100% too. And even on the death, I, I want to make sure people know before this airs uh, on Survival Podcast, I am going to put up a uh, a podcast on resiliency, and we're going to take a lot of these things. Jack and I are just having to skim through a few of these. I will take this a little bit deeper about how to do some of this, but one of the things on death I want to encourage people to do, please uh, please don't tell your kids that if someone, if like a, a grandpa died, don't tell them that they fell asleep. Uh, I've had to counsel more kids in my office that were terrified to go to sleep. Parents had no idea why, and it's because you know Uncle John died, and parents told him, "Yeah, well, he went to he went to sleep forever." It just stick to the facts, the physiological. So, so now the kid thinks if I fall asleep, I might fall asleep forever. Ever wake up like Uncle John? Exactly. Unintended consequences to the extreme there. Exactly. You got it right on the head. Be very physiological with them. Their heart stopped pumping. There's no brain activity. You say, well, they're not going to understand that. Just trust me. Set them up with those words now. They may not understand it, but it's a heck of a lot better than them thinking that they understand that they're going to go to bed tonight and they might not wake up. But anyway, I digress just there. Uh, again, not, not shielding from like illnesses of loved ones. You know, talk to them about that. Talk to them about uncurable diseases. That, that's a great thing to talk to, to them about. Don't hide from them. Divorce and those kinds of things uh, and, and job losses. If you lose your job, I mean, don't hide those things from your kids. Allow them to, to understand that, that these tough things happen. They even happen to mommy and daddy. And guess what? It's going to be okay. We'll get through this just like anything else. So number two, when it comes to how do we teach resiliency in kids, uh, allow age-appropriate failures. You, I think you summed it up the best earlier. You know, Let your kids have kind of like micro failures in places that are okay. If your kid's out in the middle of the street, Right. Okay. Don't allow logical consequences. I'm getting smashed in a car just so that way they'll learn. Don't be out in the street. Right. That's that's not a safe place for this. But but like you said, if they're struggling with something, their shoestrings, putting that toy together, like you mentioned, that's a great analogy. 
allow them to have those kinds of mistakes. Let your kids fall and let them pick themselves back up. That doesn't mean that you can't be there to come soothe them when they're when they're hurt and they come to you to cry when they're little bitties, right? I mean, that's okay, but let them pick themselves up. Don't don't let don't like one of the things we always see is like when your kid falls and they start crying, they kind of look at you to see what's mom dad going to do, right? You know? Allow them to be the one to pick up and come to you because that teaches them. When I fall, when I crash on my bicycle, when I fall off my bike that has the training wheels, I know that I can pick myself up and go to a place where I can get comfort instead of expecting comfort to come to me. Because let's be honest, in adulthood, that doesn't work. That just Well, how perfect is that? When you have people in the middle of this hurricane disaster with Sandy, and I'm not unsympathetic. I'm putting together a team that can go out and help respond to these things as an additional support mechanism. So I want to help these people. But there are people that are on TV still today, two weeks, three weeks into this, saying no one's come to help me yet. Right. And it's exactly, it's exactly the same mentality. Somebody should come fix it for me instead of I need to go where the help is. That's it. See, and, and it sounds so funny. It almost sounds like we're oversimplifying the issue here because you're saying, oh, so you're telling me if I teach them how to fall off their bike, you're telling me they can handle a hurricane? The answer is yes. I really am. Now, am I saying that it's not going to take some building them and getting them to trust themselves? I'm not trying to say that it's just that easy. But the mentality, the, the principle of the matter is absolutely that simple. So wrapping that one up, just whatever you guys do. Uh, just try to avoid, resist the urge to rescue your kids as much as you can. Uh, number three, don't fall into the everybody gets the gold star mentality. We've kind of we've kind of done that, so I'll, I'll trim this one a little bit as well. But uh, again, if your kid, Jack, you said it perfect earlier. If your kid is not really good, if they're not exceptional at something, don't tell them that they are. Now you might tell them that you're really impressed at how diligent they are to try again, right? Now it's okay to praise them if they're one of those kinds that get you know a little tiny yeah. kid plays football and he gets knocked down, but he always gets back up. Encourage him that he's amazing about taking a hit and getting back how up. How hard you're working to get better, right? <laughs> that I can legitimately compliment. Even if you suck, but you're really and you might get better if you keep doing it. But if I tell you you're good when you suck, you will not get better, <laughs> and you'll start wondering why it's whose fault it is that you don't get picked first. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Or whose fault it is that you never get the ball thrown to you, or whatever it is. It doesn't have to be anything, right? If if I tell you you're good when you suck, you'll start blaming other people for why you don't get the results you would expect if you were good. That's it. You know, it summarized like this, Jack. When kids get glowingly affirmed for every single thing they do, which again, it usually goes out of like the, the fear that an adult gets that like they're going to lower their self esteem because of doing that. I mean, they get deprived of authentic compliments. They don't really discover what am I really really good at. Okay, so I can do that okay. I, I played football. I played six-man football from a small town. I loved it, and I, you know, and I really thoroughly enjoyed it. But even uh, because my parents didn't try to build me up as being the next you know, Emmett Smith or whatever was popular at the time, because they didn't build me up in that, I knew realistically I'm not going to be a football player. That's not where my skill set lied. Where my skill set lied was all the things I got made fun of was how I can keep talking about something that I'm passionate about and never stop. Well, see, now that pays me off, and, and had I had more people encouraging me in that, then I might could have acknowledged, oh, my skill set isn't football. It's in public speaking maybe, etc. So, yeah, we've got that there. So, again, avoid the gold star mentality. Everybody does not deserve a gold star for everything. Help your kid find their true talents. What are the things that they're genuinely exceptional at? And encourage those, you know, encourage those things in them. Uh, number and just before you go on there, I think the, the thing you touched on that is so important is – if you do this, then not only do your kids get robbed of true compliments because they're complimented for everything, when they do get a, a true compliment, one they should appreciate, one that they should 
actually realize that, like, okay, this person's really smart about this thing, and they told me, and maybe this is something I need to pursue, they don't even recognize the real compliments when they do come. That's because it. they always get they always get a pie on Friday. That's it. That's it exactly. You know, I always tell people. I also have another podcast called the Marriage Podcast, and my wife and I co-host that. And one of the things that I talk about in there is if my wife walks, she she doesn't ask this often anymore. But if my wife Corey walks up to me and says, "Does this make me look fat? Do I look like crap in this?" If she does, I will say. Yes, it absolutely makes you look fat in that. Now, I'm not trying to – I know a lot of the ladies out there just going, oh, my God, Trey. Hear me out. The reason I do that is because when she walks in and I draw drops to the ground and I look at her and I go, oh, God dang, you look good, woman. When I, I mean, when that comes out of my mouth, she knows beyond the shadow of a doubt that it is authentic. It is not about trying to avoid a depressive fit from her or anything about that. It's because I mean what I say, and let me tell you that I, I mean that that has been more helpful to my marriage than many of the other things that they teach out there. I, I completely agree. I, I've always said, if you don't want my opinion, don't ask. Absolutely. <laughs> I don't go. I don't go out of my way looking to be critical. But if you ask me what I think, I am going to tell you what I think. Absolutely. Okay, so moving on. Number four, we're about to wrap these up. Don't overindulge your kids. This is a big one. This is a very, very big one. So, for instance. And I'm going to say this very succinctly and very clearly. It is okay for your kids to not have everything that they want or everything that their friends have. That is very okay. For some reason, our society has moved that we have to give our kids everything that they want. They've got to have cell phones when they're six years old or anything like that. Now, I want to clarify myself here. I'm not opposed to giving a six-year-old a cell phone if they are responsible with it. My six-year-old, I would have no problems giving a cell phone. If we, if I felt like that was something that was really important, I would give it to her and I would have no problems because she takes such good care of her things. But it is very okay for your kids to not have everything that they want. It's okay for them. They will survive. If they don't have the iPhone 5 like all their friends do, they will survive it. And I would even go as far to say it's important for them to learn that they're not going to get that. Next off, the, the don't overindulge them. Well, I mean, just on that real quick, how do you think we end up at $60,000 worth of debt as adults? We haven't learned to do without. That's exactly what, that, that's what it was for us. That's precisely what it was for that's us. That's exactly. It's immediate gratification. And, and you're just teaching and con, con, you know, making it conducive to that behavior that if I want it, it should be here now. And then as soon as somebody gives them an Amex or a, a MasterCard, they can actually make that happen for a little while. My credit limit's $5,000. I must have $5,000, right? Yeah, that's the mentality. Absolutely, absolutely. Next part of that is uh, it, it's okay for your kid to earn some of their material things that they get from us. Uh, you know, it's okay for them to earn their privileges. I mean, I think a lot of kids kind of walk into it, especially if this is kind of the, the, the mentality we've talked about before, that 90s and 2000s, early, you know, 90s and 2000s self-esteem movement they've got. A lot of times kids kind of have these expectations. I deserve these things. And I want you to hear me say from a guy who has done, you know, child psychology issues and these things for years now. It is very okay for your kid to have to earn those. It's okay for them to do jobs that they've got to build up to before they can pay for those things. It's okay for them to show that they're responsible to take the trash out before they're allowed to have a curfew at midnight or whatever else your family says. I'll further endorse that. When my kid was young and we had chores, he had two ways they worked. One, you do the chores. You, there was a payment for each chore so that he would earn money and an allowance. And that allowance went up every year as his responsibilities went up. But the other side was if you were supposed to take the trash out, Three times this week, and that was going to pay a dollar of your allowance. And you didn't. You owe me a dollar. Yeah, 
Absolutely. I think that. And <laughs> so he actually had some weeks where he ended up with a bill instead of a payment. Absolutely. Somebody had to do the work. No, and I think that's good, too, and the reason I like that so much is because I think it's one of the closest models to what life is like. I get up, I go, I do my work, and I get paid for it. Well, what happens if I decide not to do my work on my website or in my the job, my day job? If I don't come to work, then typically I don't get paid. And again, this is excluding things like sick time and that kind of thing. But the reality is, is that that's a good model because that is what life is. And, and then completing the model is if you don't do it and it really needs to get done, your only solution is to pay somebody else to do it. That's exactly right, and I love that. I think that's good. Uh, number five is, and this one kind of seems it seems off topic, but it's really not. Love your kids unconditionally. I tell parents that your kids should, no matter what they do. I understand kids can be turds. Mine can too, and drive me nuts. And I'm just ready to rip my hair out. Well, I have my hair shaved down, so it's not going to happen. But I understand that. But your kids need to know that no matter what they do. You love them unconditionally. There's nothing that they've got to do to ever earn that from you. And I always encourage parents, take this approach. Parents who love their kids just right where they are, Jack, have a tendency, instead of what they do, have a tendency to be way more successful. And so I always recommend, you know, love your kids, even if they bring home the B- minus when you think they should be making A's. Love them anyway. If they argue with the teacher, I say that. I put this as a negative thing. Because of our current public schools, we homeschool our kids now, but because of our current Public schools. I mean, I think kids actually should be arguing respectfully with their teachers more. But uh, and then and then also, like if your kid doesn't make uh, first string football, right? If they don't make those things, love them anyway. Love them anyway. Love them unconditionally. Um, kids will often mistake things like parental competitiveness or like parental disappointment for lack of love. So if you're disappointed in me because of what I've done, then they, then they don't love you. Now, I'm not saying you don't be disappointed in their actions. It's okay. I mean, my kids do things all the time. Just the other day, I, I, we were, the kids were in the back room, and we heard a bong crash, and we heard some screaming. And so we come running in there thinking somebody's dead or something. And, and, and my son was sitting there, and my, my daughter had, had punched him in the, in the arm and knocked him over, right? So was I disappointed in Anna? No. Was I disappointed in what she did? Absolutely. Make sure that you focus any kind of disappointment on the action not them. You always love them. Yeah, and I think the other side of that is teaching them early on. There's a difference between me loving you and me being proud of what you've done. Right. So you are going to earn respect, right? So I'm going to respect your effort, but I'm going to love you, the individual. And those two things are separated from each other. That if you want to earn the respect, then you have to do the work to earn the respect, just like you will in life, because I'm modeling life for you as, as your parent. Uh, and, but if you want love, that's freely available. Exactly. It, yeah, you nailed it right on the head. And the last one is is be ready to cede control. Give control to your kids as much as, we'll say, age-appropriate. Let your kids have age-appropriate responsibilities, like let them dress themselves. I understand that kids pick out things that you're like, really? That looks retarded. I'm sorry, kiddo. But you know, kids are going to do that kind of thing. It happens. So I always encourage parents to let them dress themselves, let them do those things as they're ready. Now, if it's negative 12 degrees outside and they're trying to wear shorts or something like that, I'm not talking about that. You know, let them, you know, make them age appropriate decisions, but let kids do those kinds of things. Let your kids have power and choices and opportunities even to succeed and fail as much as possible. Uh, because, and, and I say all of those six things with this one last, I'll wrap this question up with this. Do it so that way your kids aren't worried if you're going to, like, disapprove and then come swooping in and then yank that control out of their hands. Let your kids know that you trust them to make the successes that they're going to make and the failures. So with that said, these are all the things we should be doing as parents with our children. 
Are there things that we should be doing individually, either as modeling behavior or just because it's better for us to behave certain ways and that that will kind of osmosisize its way down into the kids? Are there certain behaviors that we need to be modeling beyond how we handle them directly? You know, it, it, Jack, that's a great question, by the way. But this is kind of, it's all foundational. I think people, when they, when they hear this question, they, when they're asking it, they want to know what can I be doing specifically? Like, what are the strategies, right? So I tell them it's foundational. Number one thing, you need to have a really good relationship with your kid. Well, well, you know, I, I just, I'm not good with that kind of stuff. Figure it out. I mean, I'm sorry. I don't mean to be so hard about this kind of thing, but you need to have a great relationship with your kid. Your kid needs to trust you. Your kid needs to want to come ask you about what is sex. And the reason for that is, is again, remember, we want them to come to us because they're going to have problems. They're going to be presented with things that could be big problems, and we want them to feel comfortable coming and saying, Daddy, what do you think about sex? Mama, what do you think about Cheating. We want them doing that. So number one is make sure you build good relationships. Uh, number two, when it comes to control. This is kind of similar to what we talked about earlier, but encourage your kids to make decisions. Number one thing that drives me nuts is when my daughter comes up to me and says, Dad, what's this? And so and it's, that doesn't frustrate me. I love that she's curious, but my first question is, I don't know, what do you think that is? Let your kids think for themselves. And I have been amazed, Jack, at the things. The other day, my daughter came out. I was recording for one of my episodes of the Family Podcast Network, and she came in. And she goes, Dad, what's a podcast? And I, I mean, just in my knee-jerk reaction is was just to tell her. But I stopped and I said, "What do you think a podcast is?" And my little, my little six-year-old daughter sat there and she goes, "I guess that's the way that you talk into a microphone to teach parents how to be better parents." I mean, what it is, you know, just insightful comment from a little kid. So let your kids have control. Let them make decisions. Let them think. Uh, expectations when it comes to what can we be doing personally. Uh, expect your kid to do their best. I think we've given up on that at some point. I don't really know why that is, but your kids need to be expected to do their very best at the things that they do because when that happens, they have a tendency to feel better about themselves. Now, I'm going to skip over a few of these just for, for time's sake. And again, we'll have these in an episode back at the Family Podcast Network. Uh, but contribution. And one of the things that I was just elated to see that you're doing with uh, TSP is the, the, the DRT group, the disaster, is it disaster relief team, right? Disaster response team is what we're calling it for now, anyway. See, I think that I love that you're doing that with your people. I think as parents, we need to be doing and teaching our kids to do that as well. Teach your kids to get and, and contribute back to the community in those kinds of things. Do things in the community, volunteering for activities and those kinds of things. I, I read an article the other day that found one of the number one ways to keep kids out of gangs, which I don't think anybody in here probably wrestles with that. But one of the number one things for keeping kids out of gangs was get them involved in a community where they're just doing things just because. And that was a great predictor for being able to stop them from moving into gang activity. Activity. Very fascinating stuff. And then last, uh, acceptance. Accept your kid right where they are. It kind of goes back to the, the, the loving unconditional part. But again, we all have successes. We all fail inevitably in life. It's just a part of it. So encourage your kids not be too hard on themselves when they mess up. So this is all great stuff. But what we told people as we're talking about preparing our kids, you know, if the grid's down. So how does all of this translate to a disaster, a grid-down scenario, a severe accident, a trauma in life? How does that translate over and make that child more resilient when life says, I know what you had planned, but guess what? It's not going to be that way today. You know, the answer to that lies in this. You know, we can give our kids ideas. We can give our kids, okay, what do you think we should do if a hurricane were to come through? And, and that's good. We can say, hey, you know what we could do is we could have food set aside or we could have, you know, a backup generator. And we can do that with our kids. But where does the answer to this really lie? How do we get our kids ready for something as 
dastardly as a grid failure. It's in this. It's teaching them to think. That's all it is. It's a scalability issue. It's about teaching kids that you are fully capable of figuring this out. Now, I want to make sure that I'm careful here. A lot of people, I don't want to come off sounding like this with it. When, we, when we talk about teaching kids independence, that that means that they don't ever ask for help. That's not what I'm saying at all. I had a desire to start becoming more self-sufficient and more self-reliant. So I was, I was ready for that. So I found this wonderful place called Survival Podcast. Loved it, and I began to take help from that. So one of the things I recommend is, is first off, teach your kids that independence is not necessarily separate from asking for help. The only time asking for help becomes problem is, is when the expectation of it is, I want you to help me by doing it for me. That's where the problem comes into. So can, does resiliency apply to a grid failure? Absolutely. Uh, again, it's just about how do we take, we, we teach them when they're little. We, we start out with, you know, in the reality of things, Jack, to prepare for major catastrophes like, Let's take Hurricane Sandy or a major crash. The issue comes down to this. We've just got to be able to handle small problems. So teach your kids, starting young, how to handle small problems on their own, how to think. How can we solve this? When they come home and little Johnny so-and-so is trying to steal their milk money, instead of just saying, oh, I'm going to go to the school and I'm going to handle this, start teaching them. How do you think we can deal with this? Get them thinking. You know, it's kind of it's kind of cool, Jack. My uh, as I, as we've been working on building up more of the self sufficiency, self reliance in our family. You know, my daughter. I haven't pushed any of this on my kids. And uh, the other day, my daughter came in and she had this little pink bag attached to her. And I said, "Well, what you got on there, baby girl?" And she said, "Well, this is my just in case bag." And so we opened it up, and what does she have in there? She had a little. She had a couple of flashlights and, and some other stuff that that really, in reality, I'm thinking, you know, in a real crash, this wouldn't be good. But I, I let her run with it. And so we that night, I put her down to bed. And she said, can I have my just-in-case bag? And we wrapped it. She sleeps on the top bunk in our, in our kids' room. And she said, can you tie it up here next to me? And we tied it off to her. Well, that night she got up, and she had to go to the bathroom really, really bad. And so what did she do? She got up. She said, oh, yeah, my bag's right here. She got out her flashlight that she had in her just-in-case bag and then found her way to the bathroom in the pitch dark, starting from the top of a very tall bunk, and made her way in there. And I tell you, I wish you could have seen the look on her face when she woke up that morning. Goes, Dad, I got to use my just-in-case bag. Of course, you know, I'm over there beaming with pride. I'm like, that's my girl. Just in case bag. I was so proud of her. But how do we do this? There's, I'm, there's no major strategy for teaching your kid how to be ready for a grid failure. The issue comes down to is, is teach them to think. Start thinking yourself. What do I need to be doing? What do I need to be ready for? Because the reality is this. Economic failure, our kids can absolutely survive. I mean, that's, that's the fundamental short and short of it. You know, we, we hear that talk all the time. Oh, well, you know, after like a dead kids are resilient and I, I really do I, I think that kids really are resilient but they are only as resilient as you are as a parent so one of the number one things you got to do is start working on your own self start working on your life uh, encourage you know encourage your kids to think about okay how could we be prepared for these things what could we do I always encourage parents when they're ready let your kids build their own bags what do you think should be in there because my kids have come up with things that I never would have thought. When I build our bug out bag and our just in case bag and our blackout bags and all these other things that I've got, I'm thinking about what are we going to need in terms of survival. But my kids have an uncanny ability to think about, okay, what are we going to need to do if we're bored? And so my kids. Which is a very valid concern because a lot of disasters end up not necessarily with somebody hurt or dead, but stuck somewhere for a long period of time. Exactly. That's exactly right. So 
Start working on it yourself. Start building up resiliency. Stop looking for how you can solve your own problems in your own life. Teach those to your kids. Talk to them about that. Then allow them to practice it and then encourage the snot out of them. Every time that you see them doing that, you praise the snot out of them. I mean, when my daughter came in with that pink bag. Now, I didn't have to fake this at all, but I mean, I was elated because I didn't have to ask her. I didn't tell her what to put in it. She just went and did it herself because she sees daddy doing it. She sees daddy's just-in-case bag, daddy's bug-out bag. She's seen these things. Now she wants to do them. And then the minute she did it, I made sure she knew how proud I was of her. And she just beamed. She grinned. And then guess what? She went in there. She goes, Dad, i got to go find more stuff to go put in my <laughs> bug-out bag. You know, She ran back in there because she wanted, to, she wanted to please daddy again. So praise them whenever you see that happens. Teach them how to handle their own problems. Your kids can be just fine. I completely agree, and I think like my biggest goal has always been, and this is not just with my my son and my nieces and nephews, but with everybody that I interact with as a teacher, that the one thing I want people to learn is that when you end up in a situation where you think, I don't care what reason, but you're thinking, oh, no, something bad has happened, the first question that we need to be asking ourselves is, what are my options now? Yeah, that's good. What tools do I have? What can I do? Because all of a sudden that, and that doesn't mean you, like you say, it doesn't mean you don't ask for help, but actually that leads you to asking for the right help from the right person at the right time because you're meeting them halfway. And most people, whether it's a catastrophe or just a simple favor, they're happy to help when you meet them halfway. Yeah. They're not happy to come in and pick you up off the ground when you're a grown ass man. Yeah. They're just not, you know? And, and, you know, I just talked to a guy recently that does, um, emergency roadside assistance. And he said, you know, my busiest days for changing, changing tires, uh, you know, flats on the side of the road. I'm like, what? He goes, when it rains, because grown ass men that know how to do it won't get out of their car in the rain and they'll call AAA because it's raining. It's raining. That's interesting. And that's that's again, we're just back to man. It's just this whole sickness we've created, in my view, of this. I can't do it. Somebody do it for me. You know, uh, I, one of my favorite shows is The Simpsons. And and when Homer was running for sanitation commissioner, his campaign slogan was, "Can't somebody else do it?" <laughs> and I think that would that would work for president today, right? <laughs> Can't somebody else do it? <laughs> if you elect me, somebody else will do it. What? Whatever it is, you don't want to do. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So hey, man, this has been a great interview. I appreciate you being on with us. You have your own show. On the uh, familypodcastnetwork.com, and you also have another show on the marriagepodcast.com. That's correct as well. Yeah, if you, is it okay for me to plug myself? I'm assuming. Ah, go ahead, man. I just did it for you. So let's 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 complete the uh, circle, so to speak. <laughs> so okay, yeah. Jack nailed it right on the head. Uh, www.thefamilypodcastnetwork.com. Uh, also, my wife and I do co-host that show. It's actually at the excuse me, meritpodcast.com, and uh, Jack, I'll send you links to those as well. And then also, if you guys want to connect with me on another place, uh, I'm a very uh, social media type guy. I love Facebook. Uh, you can find me at facebook.com forward slash family podcast network. Uh, I'm not as much of a Twitter, but I'm willing to connect. They want to do twitter.com forward slash fampodnet, as in the first three letters of each word of the, the name dot com. And, uh, and you guys can find me there. 
Well, Trey, I've got your links to your websites here, um, and I'll make sure they're in the show notes. If you'll shoot me an email after we get off the air, I'll make sure I uh, put your Twitter and Facebook profiles in the show notes for folks as well, because uh, we got a lot of people that are driving down the road when they're listening to this, I'm sure, as a podcaster. You know how that goes. Absolutely. Yeah, if any guys have any questions, comments, thoughts, uh, Trey, what do I do with my kids when? Uh, I'm going to make sure to stay very active uh, on the comment section when this goes live. Uh, I'll be there. You can email me at Gibson at thefamilypodcastnetwork.com. Feel free to ask me any questions, guys. Uh, I want you guys to feel comfortable if things go rough. Could we get our kids through it? Uh, and I want to do everything we can to make sure the answer to that is emphatic. Yes, my kids are going to be just fine. All right, folks. Uh, with that, this has been Jack Spearco today along with Trey Gibson, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way